8.30 on Monday, December 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a look at how incarceration is affecting some Mississippi children and what it could mean during the holidays. You have a child who has an incarcerated parent, and uh, it's because of that, you know, they're mad at the world. So you'll see behavior issues. And after our Everyday Tech segment, find out how new data could help Mississippi leaders better address health concerns. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some 55,000 Mississippi children's lives are affected by the incarceration of a parent. That's according to 2016 data from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. They say in that year, those children had a parent who was in prison at some point. And according to a report by FWD.us, a bipartisan group of business leaders, half of all adults have an immediate family member currently or previously in prison. Pauline Rogers is with the Prison Fellowship of Mississippi. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier, family separation due to incarceration is devastating. It is the biggest problem in America. America houses more people in prison than any other country in the nation. And I think Mississippi is three now uh, with the highest uh, incarceration rate. Now, I understand that there was just some research done by FWD.us, which found that one out of two Americans has a loved one that's incarcerated, an immediate family member, or um, someone who has previously in their family been incarcerated. That's true. It's the story nobody likes to talk about. And... That's why when people work with us in prison ministry, I have to give them a quick in-service to not be surprised or taken aback by once they walk into prison, who they may see, because it's sweeter to tell somebody else or put them under the impression that a loved one is gone away to college or moved out of state or has gone to the military. And some of these families have, have loved ones that have been in the military that no return. And people just don't ever stop and think, are they really in the military or are they really moved? Most of them sometimes are incarcerated in other states or even within the state. So this is what people are telling people who ask about relatives? Family members tell other people because nobody wants the stigma that goes with an incarcerated loved one. It's easier to lie about where your loved one is than to tell the truth. So you are trying to help uh, these families that are incarcerated. Tell us about what you're doing. Well, we do transitional housing and we provide services. We actually go inside the prison. We do prison ministry, mentoring. Uh, we have a, a program called, uh, an initiative called MORE, M-O-R-E, Mississippi Offender Reentry Establishment, where we do training, services, mentoring, we have uh, teachers in the school system that help with GED, life skills, social skills, inter- social interactive skills, that kind of training, just helping them. We do it non-traditionally in that if, when you come to our transitional home, you won't find a set of rules plastered on the wall. That's unrealistic. Now we're in the holiday season. How are you helping families? Uh, we do Christmas packages to prisoners where we take 
uh, Ziploc bags filled with toiletries and candy that's allowed uh, into the prison. Uh, for years, we've been uh, recruiting churches, organizations, businesses to help this continue across the years. And over the years, it has gotten stable where churches automatic and through the chaplain that's there, you know, do it. I used to uh, a volunteer that mentored me when I'm a former prisoner myself. That's where my passion comes from. And one of the volunteers that mentored me uh, educated me and trained me on how I could pick up from where she left off with continuing that process of getting churches, organizations to donate toiletries. So we try to continue to do that. And then all the churches or organizations that have a uh, program or a Bible study class or a uh, life skills class or a training class or a support group going on in the prison are asked to provide a sandwich, chips, drink during that time of year. So we just did that to over 500 inmates this past Saturday. We do it for the ministry opportunity. They've already been sentenced by a judge, so we just try to go in and be an encourager and show the love of Christ. Well, Pauline Rogers, we really appreciate you taking time to speak with us. You are a representative with the Prison Fellowship. Thank you. Thank you. Shakina Bowie is Clinical Care Coordinator at Infusion Metro in Jackson. She counsels children and families coping with the issue. She tells our Desiree Fraser what she sees in her work. You will see where having a parent incarcerated where the kids, their grades might fall or their interest in things in general just decreases. Right now with the holiday season, you have a lot of programs and activities going on in school and the community. Um, and those children who have an incarcerated parent, um, a lot of times they'll shy away from that that kind of thing because it's a reminder, again, that my parent is not here with me. Um, but in general, uh, especially for the ones that I work with, I just usually see where it affects their grade. It affects their outlook on life, not wanting to participate in things, uh, shying away from anything uh, where parents are involved in, you know, in, like I said, activities like it's, it's school and the community. Um, and uh, I have a young man, and to me his just overall um, attitude and behavior is just one of I don't care. You know, his father is in prison, and it just seems as he's lost uh, interest in everything. And even if it's for a year, uh, you know, uh, several years, even to us as an adult, we may say, well, a year, that's not long, but for that child, a year seems like a lifetime for them. So I, I've seen where it impacts um, many aspects of their life. Can you give us um, an example? Their relationships with other family members. If you have a child who has an incarcerated parent and because of that, you know, they're mad at the world. So you'll see behavior issues at home and at school, and then that causes a strain on everybody else. So you, if mom's at home uh, and child is um, acting up at school, um, it's mom who is dealing with the ramification of that child being upset. So things like having to miss time at work, having that attitude of, 
I don't want to be around anybody. I don't like anybody. So if mom is working a job and she uh, needs somebody to help, you know, with that child, you have people shying away from it because the child is just a behavior problem or uh, the young man, again, that I was talking about, he's younger, so he's not able to stay at home alone. So if mom has to work late, hard for her to find someone who will help out with the child. And it's all stemming behind being upset that he has a incarcerated parent. What can you do to help the parent or a loved one help this child? Helping them with understanding that it is tough. It is tough trying to understand the child's feeling, being uh, empathetic to what they're uh, dealing with. I've done, you know, family sessions and just encouraging the parent to just always remind the child that there's still love and there's still people that are willing to help. There's people that understand what he's dealing with and that you have a lot of support. So I'm always encouraging, you know, anyone that's involved in that child's life to, you know, show them support, that I support you, that you have people, even though your parent is incarcerated, you still have people that are willing to be there for you. Ultimately, are there any answers if the parent um, has to pay for their their crime or whatever, but the, is there any way um, to help the child so that they don't create a cycle? And so that's where I think programs like Infusion Metro, um, again, we're a system of care, um, so we provide a lot of services. Uh, kids can you know, come here as a safe haven every day. We're open uh, every day. And so we're a way, you know, to try to give them some positive uh, peer interaction, uh, a place where they could just not be in the community wreaking havoc on other individuals. So um, I'm hopeful that there will be more programs or more organizations like this that will step in uh, in the gap and help wherever they can. Infusion Metro, Shakina Bowie. Tamika Tobias is executive director with the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Mississippi. She says they find the absence of a parent put a burden on the other parent and on the children. Well, what we found is, Desiree, uh, that a majority of those individuals that are incarcerated with mental illness oftentimes are those individuals that are homeless and non-compliant with their medication. And most of the time, as opposed to those individuals getting the help that they need within their communities, uh, majority of times they do end up in jail for crimes and uh, things of that nature. So they do end up incarcerated. Have you been able to determine the impact on children? Because there is an organization that is uh, working right now to ensure that children of incarcerated parents parents get some gifts for Christmas. Right. Well, most of the time what happens is when someone is incarcerated, that child will suffer. And most of the time with a one-person household, the child uh, does suffer. Maybe it's behavioral problems or the child not getting what a child would normally receive within a two-parent household. So how are organizations, yours included, working to help families through this? 
we're actually partnering with other organizations throughout the state of Mississippi, and what we do is we help to identify not only children with behavioral problems, but also families in need. And what we do is we provide training and resources and tools to those family members to A, get the resources that are needed within the community, also serve as support system for those individuals that need help. NAMI Mississippi's Tamika Tobias with MPB's Desiree Frazier. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, find out how new data could help Mississippi leaders better address health concerns. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting for more information. Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds up your credit or debit card purchases to the nearest dollar and sends us the difference. You support MPB and get something nice for yourself. To sign up for change, visit our website, mpbonline.org, and click support. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Contraire, and today we're discussing podcast. So, Wilts, what exactly is a podcast? Podcasts are digitally recorded shows that are put out on the Internet for people to enjoy on just a whole bunch of different topics. These are generally going to be done by people who are an enthusiast. For example, here at our station, our different shows are actually turned into podcasts for people to be able to enjoy later in its audio form. You'll find people with different hobbies will actually put together podcasts for things that they're really interested in. It's very similar to the item that you're listening to right now, which is a small segment of information, short, sweet, concise, to get information out to people, especially those who are really interested in that subject. So is a podcast almost similar to a blog, but in audio form? That's a great way of describing it, Michelle. It's people bringing their thoughts and their their opinions and their experiences out there and very much like that blog, that written format, making it more audio. Some of the best ones out there are very simple. It could be a person or two maybe just having a conversation such as you and I here today talking about a different topic. So again, there's so many different subjects that are out there. So really, whatever it is you're into, you could end up coming across. um, There are popular podcasts out regarding, say, gardening, uh, different hobbies, hunting, fishing, news topics, food, eating, maybe even you know audio. That you can think of almost like an audio review of maybe a new restaurant in town. Just so much information you can come across. Some of the ones that my wife enjoys, for example, deal with cooking and recipes. So it's really cool that whatever it is you may be interested in, more than likely someone out there has actually made a podcast about it. How reliable are podcasts? Well, reliability can really depend on the podcaster themselves. I would advise folks to not just, because you hear it in a podcast, take it as essentially the gospel truth. But remember, just like reading an article, just like visiting a web page, just like honestly even talking to someone in a particular field, you still need to take that back yourself and analyze and make sure, hey, is this safe? Is this right? Because everyone's got an opinion 
And it's, it's still up to us at the end of the day to evaluate that opinion and make sure that it actually works for us. So how can someone create a podcast? Well, there's quite a few tools out there to do this. And really, all you need is a microphone, a subject, and with your regular computer, it's just a recording of essentially your voice. Some people can actually add video to this. We see this a lot with your YouTube and some of those kind of programs like that. But uh, really, it just takes an audio recorder, a little bit of your time, and plenty of websites out there that you can upload these things to for free for other people to be able to listen into. Even, say, your Android and your iPhone, your Apple stores can actually accommodate some of that. So who regulates podcasts? Well, it, it's very much like social media. It is regulated by the community. So when you have someone that may have a good or positive podcast, you're going to probably see quite a bit of activity around there. You'll get people's opinions on that. And by the same token, if you have one that maybe is less than enjoyable or people have problems with them being you know, not quite as accurate as they would like um, – Likewise, just like social media, people are going to make comments out there to that effect as well. So before you really start listening to different podcasts, you definitely want to do a little bit of research on them and see, you know, hey, is this person actually worth my time to listen to? So, Michelle, a podcast is really a way for people to reach an extended audience. It allows your voice to reach a whole bunch of other folks that maybe share those same interests and those same passions that you have. It's pretty much a free thing to get into, and you never know. It could turn into something really big. We've seen a lot of shows that really just started off with people's passions, and it's amazing how those passions can grow. So there is something out there. And there's definitely something out there for you. And you know what? If you don't find it, make your own trail and put it together yourself. You may just be surprised at who really wants to listen. We will talk more about podcast on the next Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. New data is giving leaders the opportunity to better understand life expectancy gaps in Mississippi. The City Health Dashboard is a tool which allows users to see where cities stand on key measures of health. Designed for... Designed for public health officials, community leaders, and citizens, users can assess trends on a census tract level. Researchers say until recently, few measures have been available for cities to assess health, the factors that shape it, and the drivers of health equity. Octavia Wojcik is program officer with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and Shoshana Levine is program director with the City Health Dashboard at NYU School of Medicine. They tell us the data includes factors that influence how well and how long we live so leaders can target solutions more effectively. On a very small geographic level, you can think of it as a neighborhood is is basically a census tract. And what is City Health Dashboard? So City Health Dashboard is a website uh, that provides data for the 500 largest U.S. cities. So that's all cities with a population of about 66,000 or greater on 37 measures of health, uh, the factors that shape health and drivers of health equity. So 
that includes things like life expectancy uh, and obesity, things that are more kind of traditional health measures, as well as factors like education and poverty, things that we know really contribute to people's ability uh, to lead long and healthy lives. The overall purpose is to determine life expectancy in different cities? In different neighborhoods, so actually neighborhoods. Neighborhoods. And to compare them because neighborhoods that may be adjacent to each other, in fact, can have very large differences. And then to think about, well, what's causing them? And ultimately to take action to change that. What kind of neighborhoods in Mississippi are surveyed? In the city health dashboard, again, any city greater than about 66,000. Uh, and we can see that within Mississippi, so the, the state average for life expectancy is 75 which is compared to 79 uh, across the country. But there's differences between cities. So a city like Jackson has a life expectancy of 75. Gulfport is 74. But within cities, uh, that's where you really get uh, the interesting and actionable data. So for Jackson, uh, there's a 16-year gap in life expectancy within the city. So people living uh, west of Veterans Memorial Stadium have a life expectancy of 68 years, while those living near Parham Bridges Park have a life expectancy of 84 years. So it's really quite striking when you get into those neighborhood differences. Why? Does it come down to health care? I mean, how people take care of themselves or access to health care? What are some of the reasons? Well, we know that a lot of factors can influence people's health, and it really uh, is about uh, health care and, and things like that, but also the opportunities that people have to be healthy and the circumstances in which they live. So uh, if we look at these neighborhoods in Jackson, we see that the neighborhood with the shortest life expectancy also has a high rate of unemployment um, and children living in poverty. You mentioned those two neighborhoods specifically. Mm -hmm. What other neighborhoods in Jackson do you have results for or data for? If you go onto the site, cityhealth-board.com, uh, you can compare all of the neighborhoods within the city. How often are you looking at this particular data? Every time the census is taken? We're going to be updating the data as new data comes available. So we pull in data from a lot of different sources. Uh, so they're updated, some usually a about every year, a few a little less frequently, but as soon as new data is made available, we're going to pull it into uh, the website. How long have you looked at this particular data? We've actually just launched the City Health Dashboard uh, in May of 2018, so we did have a pilot with a few different cities across the country uh, that really helped inform and make sure uh, that this fuller site was able to meet the needs of, of cities across the country. Will you be able to track year to year or however often the census comes out changes and what might be uh, attributing to those changes? Uh, yes, definitely. We're going to be updating the data. Um, and now that the site is launched, uh, we're also thinking about going back and pulling in some previous years of data so that we can get uh, some trends over time sooner uh, than having to wait a few years. Where can people access this data again? Uh, they can go to cityhealthdashboard.com. Octavia Wojcik is the program officer for Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and Shoshana Levine is the program director for the City Health Dashboard at NYU School of Medicine. Thank you both very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.
According to the City Health dashboard, the life expectancy gap between Gulfport neighborhoods with shortest and longest life expectancy is 22 years. Westside Park's expectancy is 60 years, while Bayou View Park's life expectancy is 82. The tool also provides county-level data for Biloxi. Learn more online at cityhealthdashboard.com. Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Can't get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is